Welcome to Doc9 Tech Talks. In this episode, our MD, Mark Lusted, is joined by Chris Woolner, European Commercial and Strategy Director at Assurance. Good morning, my name is Mark Lusted, I'm Managing Director of Doc9. I'm delighted to be joined today by Chris Woolner, who is European Commercial and Strategy Director of Assurance. And we work with Assurance for coming up to four years now, delivering digital platforms for some of their UK insurance brands like Protect Your Bubble, uh, Assurance for Intermediaries and some others. And as a company, I think they're a great example of an insurer embracing digital change. So the topics we're going to cover today are future of insurance and how a large global insurer is adapting to what is you know, quite a fast changing world. So before we get on to that, firstly, morning, Chris, how are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me here. Good to, good to spend some time with you. How are you? Yeah, not bad. I'd say I'm, I'm great to speak today, and I'm missing the sun, to be honest. So it's, it's all got rather yeah. damp and miserable down in Kent here. But how is it where you are? Well, yeah, the northwest of England is very similar, actually. It's a, it's a fairly rainy, yes. grey, uh, stereotypically northern kind of day. <laughs> how is uh, how's working from home going? Yeah, it's uh, it has some positives and negatives. I think we're uh, I think homeschooling is starting to kind of run out of steam in my household. Yeah. Uh, as you uh, know, and uh, and hoping that the children will be at least back reasonably soon. But I think everyone's kind of getting into a bit of a groove now, aren't they? I think we're certainly certainly finding that kind of there's a family groove of how things work. As as kind of I go upstairs and shut the office door at sort of eight o'clock in the morning, and I'm not seen again till night. It's kind of yeah. Strange, yeah. strange world we're in at the moment. Yes, the new normal that we're adapting to, but hopefully we'll get back to some form of old normal at some point later this year. Hopefully, hopefully. So for those that aren't familiar with you, do you just mind giving yourself uh, or giving us a bit of background about yourself and your current role at Assurance? Sure, yeah. I mean, you've, you've already captured my, my job titles. I look after commercial and strategy across Europe. I've been in the business for nine months now. Um, and, and what I look after, as you said, the reason we know each other is I have the the pleasure of looking after our B2C business, Protect Your Bubble, which is a hugely successful gadget mobile phone insurance company. Uh, I also look after strategy, which is really about monitoring trends, insure tech, things that are happening in the market and the industry. I look after digital and how we digitize our business. I look after products and propositions, solutioning, business change. And I also help with some of our BD teams in terms of just that coordination of new business bids and, and supporting growth of our business. Uh, as I say, been here for nine months. My background, I was previously uh, the commercial director at, at what was Shop Direct, is now the Very Group, mm-hmm. the, the online, large online retailer. And um, prior to that, I ran digital at MBNA, mm-hmm. uh, which was at the time part of Bank of America. And prior to that, I spent the majority of my career in, in digital and in strategy roles at Lloyd's Banking Group. Um, so kind of, you know, have a long, feral. Uh, digitally mostly career in financial services and retail that's where I've spent all of my time cool sounds like you're a busy guy what's going on (laughs) in terms of um, I guess for some in the UK that may be a bit less familiar with the assurance brand um, do you want to give us an overview of assurance as a company yeah sure and I guess you know before I joined the business probably not not a business that I, I would say I knew pretty well were kind of one of the biggest names, biggest businesses in particularly in insurance that most people, most customers especially, have never heard of. And the reason is that, you know, aside from Protection Bubble, it's pretty much all B2B. You know, our business model is really B2B to C. Um, but you know, we're not a we're not a new company. You can trace us back to the eighteen nineties. 
we are, you know, we are a long established stable company. We're, we're a fortune 500 us listed company. So our, our us business, um, I sit in the European part of our business. Um, we operate in 21 markets. So, you know, pretty much across all of North America, South America, Europe, uh, Asia Pacific, you know, all, all those areas of the world we operate in. Um, and, and I guess in Europe, probably the main theme, the main reason people would know about us, and I think most people probably actually would be surprised if they did know, because you've probably all got products with us, you've probably got family, friends, relatives who've got, got products with us, you know, whether it's with the high street banks. So we run a lot of the mobile phone insurance in, in most of the big high street banks, packaged bank accounts. We run uh, some of the big network operators, some of their mobile solutions, whether it's insurance, whether it's trading upgrades, some of their supply chain. In the auto business, we, we run warranties, extended warranties with some of the big manufacturers, those kind of big brands that you see on dealership forecourts, we would run those. Uh, and then across Europe, we support some of the largest retailers, some of the most well-known retailers in Europe, in the world. We run warranty programs for them. We run insurance programs for them, uh, really all around devices, around gadgets. And kind of when I think about our business, we have we have three main areas that we focus on as a in the world. First is global housing. Uh, we don't really do much of that in Europe, if I'm honest. But global housing is is predominantly a North America uh, business line. Protects things, anything around the house and outside your house. So you know, catastrophe protection for 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 the U.S. market in particular, renters insurance, that kind of stuff. Then the second product line that we have, second big vertical, is is pre need. Again, we don't really do that in Europe. That's really about prepayment of funeral cover, that kind of thing. Uh, we've got a big, big proposition in the US around that. What we do in Europe is really around what we call connected living. So it's all about connected devices. So if you think, it, you know, the cornerstone of that is your mobile phone. You know, that is what we are really known for. It is our real kind of growth engine is everything that's evolved. It sits around the ecosystem of the customer's connected device. So mobile phone insurance is the really obvious one. So, you know, if you, if you have insurance for those, you break your phone, we can, dependent on the, the client we're working with, we can get you a phone back in under four hours, you know, replacement phone. Um, but we also have uh, trade-in and upgrade. So actually some of the big mobile networks in Europe, when you go and trade in your phone and you upgrade to the next one, it's actually us running that whole solution, not the, not the network. So we do a lot of that. We all do all the supply chain. So um, one of the key kind of USPs of us is we've got the full end-to-end -end stack in, uh, in not far from where I am actually in Staffordshire. We have a, a large device care center where we have a bunch of engineers who are fixing phones and doing all of that kind of stuff to get phones back out to customers. Um, and then on top of that, we have what we call Pocket Geek, which is an app that is really about helping customers and customers with diagnostics of their device. You know, why is my phone running slowly? Is my battery used up, that kind of stuff, through to cloud, memory support. And then linked to that, we have a, a great product, really, as you can imagine, super, super successful at the moment, called Tech Support. Mm -hmm. And that is a 24-7 technical hotline. It's a chat-based solution. It has augmented reality, which is all about any issue you've got with any device that connects to Wi-Fi. So my lap, I can't connect my laptop or anything like that. You, you'd ring through to Tech Support, and it is literally like having your own uh, kind of technical hot desk right next to you. Yes. Cool. And the other products we do, one of the main things we're really known for is the auto space, as I say, warranties. 
you know, we do a lot of extended warranties, big uh, manufacturer extended warranties. We run gap insurance and we do other products like cosmetic. So we run cosmetic insurance covers kind of bumps and dents and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then we have a series of other products that really all sit around that kind of connected lifestyle. So we have a, a traveler prop proposition and that traveler proposition is basically airport lounge access. So again, some of the big UK bank schemes, some of the network operators, they take that product from us that gives everything from airport lounge access through to vouchers in airports. Obviously, you know, we're not seeing a huge demand for that right now, but you know, as, as the world starts to get back to normality, that's a great proposition that just you know, makes your life easier as you're going through that, that kind of airport experience. The, the most recent product we launched, which has been so timely, is a concierge products. Mm -hmm. So we launch a series of concierge products where we have accountancy, we have HR, and we have legal. Um, and those products are essentially like having a CFO, uh, a legal counsel, and, and, and a HR director mm -hmm. surrounding you. you know, particularly aimed at the small, medium-sized enterprise market. You pay a subscription. Download documents, you know, furloughing your employees, for example, um, but then you also get access to hotlines. We then bundle our tech support product, so you know that's like access to a help desk. We add in mobile phone insurance, so you've got you've got a great package, really about supporting those small companies, um, and especially in the current environment, that that product has been hugely, hugely successful. Yeah. And then the next area of, of focus for us, which we're starting to, to dip our toe into, is the connected home. Yeah. Obviously, the, the tech support products we have very much supports connected home. You know, right now, everybody is at home. So that tech support product is working really well. But really now, we're starting to explore how we can leverage all of the things we're good at into supporting the, the connected home and the connected customer of the future. Yeah, so I mean, what you hear about Assure, and I guess there's, there must be quite a fairly complex kind of web of systems and, and processes to deliver that globally, and I guess lots of opportunities for utilising digital. Before we get on to thinking about uh, that and, and how you're adapting the future of uh, insurance, so I've got to ask at the moment, you know, the elephant in the room in terms of COVID-19, you know, how is Assurance adapting at the moment uh, to, to the challenges? Oh, I lost you then, sorry, Mark. Oh, I think I think there's a dodgy line there. But, uh, yeah, I was just asking. So yeah, you, uh, <laughs> you, you froze. <laughs> yeah. So I um, it's like wonderful Kent internet, but uh, hopefully. Um, so yeah, so in terms of uh, before we get on to you know talking about the future of insurance, etc. Um, at the moment, you know, how are you adapting to COVID nineteen? Uh, how how is insurance adapting? Yeah, I mean, as I said at the start, I've worked for a lot of companies. I'm not I'm not sure many of the companies I've worked in could have reacted as quickly, managed as well as we have. And, and I guess we had a slight slight head start because, you know, I said, we, we have got teams in Asia. So, you know, we really started talking about COVID in January, mm -hmm. um, you know, long before most UK-based companies were, were looking at it. And, then, and we saw COVID basically come across. So we started invoking travel bans um, back end of January. Um, and then if you think probably the single biggest event in our calendar in a year is Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. That happens typically in late February. Um, we were all scheduled to be there. That then got cancelled. That started to get real. Um, and as the kind of the, the wave of COVID came across 
from sort of right to left. You know, uh, our, our teams in Italy, our teams in Spain, our teams in France um, really started to see the impacts first. I think one of the things that, you know, huge credit to, to the, the leadership team is we acted really early and certainly acted in the most part. We acted before any of the governments did. So we had people working from home, um, you know, significantly before the the government imposed it. You know, before Boris's famous Monday night speech, we had people working from home. Exactly. Yeah, so hopefully we can meet when we're back in back in the office. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. I mean it, it will be it'll be joyous to start meeting people face to face again if any of us can remember what that's like. Mm. Um but yeah, we, we were acting super early and we basically had across the board we had people working from home, you know. So we, we're really uh, lucky in terms of our technology, um, but we're also lucky in terms of our operational team, how, how quick to act they were. So all of our call center staff, you know, it took us sort of two to three weeks. We had all of the call centers working from home. Didn't miss, uh, miss a beat in terms of the SLAs that we provide to our, our clients. You know, we met all of those through the process. The, and really only non-essential, uh, uh, the only elements of our teams who are working are those people in that, that engineering facility I talked about. So, you know, we still have devices coming in that need fixing. And some of those are from key workers. Um, and so in, in that operation, that kind of engineering center that we have in Staffordshire, we, we flipped those people to work in three shifts, 24-7, using social distancing, taking government and, and World Health Organization guidance. Uh, and we basically shifted very, very quickly to that. Um, you know, there's almost daily calls talking about the impact of, of COVID. Um, and, and kind of one of the big things that we, we did was create a support fund. You know, a lot of colleagues... Uh, who have parents, you know, husbands, wives, girlfriends, boyfriends, partners, any of those who are going through financial difficulty, the actual, the company created a fund for those people, which has been, you know, donated from employees from the, from the top down. And we've got over a million dollars in that. So people are able to access help for that. I think on, on a more personal level, I think how the programs reacted has really been through uh, you know, a fair amount of grit. Yes. I think, uh, you know, we, we, a lot of Zoom calls, a lot of bingo, a lot of pub quizzes. Yeah. Uh, kind of this week we have through the keyhole. It, one of my team is doing through, through the keyhole. We've done, you know, who is this baby? We've done a variety of those kind of uh, bits, bits of fun, especially, you know, going back, what, two weeks ago now, we had Mental Health Awareness Week, maybe three weeks ago. Big, big focus for us in Mental Health Awareness Week. Uh, you know, so we did a lot of drop-in sessions, virtual yoga, you know, pretty much name it. We try to do things just to keep, yeah. you know, it's a really tough time. And, and you know, I, I know Zoom fatigue is definitely a thing. And so just trying to get people to kind of think about the future. But, you know, I, I don't see us being back in an office for, for a significant period of time. Certainly, uh, you know, I think as the government opened things back up again in all of the countries we operate, I, I think we'll we'll give it a bit. Um, we're not in any rush. We, we I say we continue to deliver. So there's no rush for us to get people back in an office. That's great. I mean, um, everyone was writing these, you know, business continuity plans in years gone by, and I don't think ever quite there, there is in our, in our one as well around global pandemic. What do you do? Um, and it's amazing actually to dust those off, you know, to to to, to actually enact them. And you know, technology now does enable uh, global organisations to. It's, it's quite amazing how quickly people have adapted. But as you say, I think it's a testament to the kind of 
the grit and resilience of employees as well, um, sort of working through it. So that sounds positive. Um, so I guess if we think, you know, I think I think the idea there's no there's no real business continuity plan that was kind of built for the idea that everybody was. <laughs> there's kind of you know if you think about fallback centres, we've all envisaged this idea that uh, yeah. You know our crew office, which is alert to the DR site. Well, that's just completely gone. I mean, I, that that has been, you know, so I, I think I think people, and this is not just within our business, but across across the industry and the, and across you know across the industry, people have just reacted amazingly. You know, people have really you know turned it around quickly, continued to do things, continued to support people, and you know, our, our teams have just been amazing. I think it's also highlighted those companies that had. You know, embrace digital change a bit earlier. Uh, really, kind of reap the benefits during this period. So, so some, you know, some companies even that you know got kind of older uh, call center voice systems, for example, that they just couldn't get people to work from home without quite a big re-engineering. That you know, voice connection, yeah. these types of things. That um, I think it's um, it's probably hopefully put to bed the sort of debates around the ROI on digital uh, investment um, in terms of really highlighted value at the moment. Um, so yeah. if we sort of look beyond uh, the current situation, and it's really useful to kind of hear how sure and adapting, if we think, okay, the dust is going to settle once we get back to normality, it goes back to, I guess, a big topic which we've been thinking about the last couple of years, which is the future of insurance. So certainly in the UK, there's been a lot of uh, you know, investment and excitement around uh, um, insurtech, insure tech, these startups that are looking to kind of transform user experience, uh, uh, reinvent insurance, using new technology to drive down costs and improve customer experience. Lots of exciting, you know, uh, discussion. Where mm -hmm. do you see the future of the uh, sector going? So, sorry about that, everyone. There's a few uh, dodgy internet issues going on at, at the moment. So uh, we're just, uh, just joining Chris back again. Uh, so in terms of the future of insurance, um, what's your kind of view on where the industry is going? Yeah, so I think about it in terms of four four key areas. So the first one is really customer trends. So you know, as I was about to say that the as a result of COVID, we've seen about a twenty five percent shift to digital. So just naturally, we're just seeing customers you know embracing digital, um, and but we're also seeing a number of other another trends. You know, key customer trend that we're really seeing is. It, it, and it was really happening before COVID, and I think it'll be even more pertinent after is social and environmental consciousness. Mm -hmm. So, kind of quite quite forward to that. Talks about you know a big part of our big part of insurance going forward. How how do we create that sustainability? When I think about the customer as well, I think about how we see in that change to support the environment. So you know it, you'd be unsurprised to know that a huge trend we see in the future of insurance is linked to electrification of auto. So you know just Uh, a huge Tesla's, you know, as, as kind of one bellwether of electrification. I really think that by the turn of, of this decade, we'll be seeing more auto cars being sold, which are hybrid or electric, than our, our combustion engine. You know, that'll be a real tipping point as we head towards the back end of the year, you know, of the decade. And you imagine what that will do for the insurance industry when, when there's now electric vehicles, they break less. And um, when they do, they typically are a bit more expensive. So how do we how do we kind of work in that environment, and how do we work in an environment where you know electric vehicles are being sold that don't have to need an oil change and that kind of stuff? It really changes the industry, and likewise mobility itself. You know we're seeing a big shift in mobility. You know will customers still own a car as they do today? Will there be subscription-based models? Will there be you know pay-on-demand models? And certainly as you think about inner cities, you know inner cities have got a huge kind of 
um, had a huge impact as a result of COVID. People aren't driving anymore. We've seen the pollution levels come down. And we think that'll be a shift that will actually, you know, continue throughout the decade. And so what does that mean for insurance? So, you know, when you no longer, you know, you've got a customer who's potentially shifting in terms of the, the vehicles they're using. How will you insure that person? Will you insure the vehicle around the person? Will it be on demand or usage based? So these are kind of a lot of the areas that we think will be will be real trends, and and really a lot of them underpinned by the big technology trends that we're seeing. Yeah. So you know, I I, I can't believe I'm I'm sitting here yet again talking about digitization. I feel like I was talking about digitization probably you know 15 20 years ago, and it feels like it's a never ending kind of trend. So it's it's uh, you know as as industries have gone, but let's be honest, insurance has been a bit of a laggard when it comes to insure digitization. Yeah. You know, I, I remember online banking you know back back in kind of the mid 2000s we were all we were talking about was online banking and growing online banking you know, obviously retail working in retail we saw a huge trend but digitization is just you know has not really been at the forefront of certainly the the further back the insurance industry but it clearly will be and it will be a, an absolute mainstay going forward and and for me digitization is just empowering the customer to do what they want when they want when they want right that that's simple so as a customer, I should be able to do everything myself. I don't want to talk to a person unless I want to. Um, and whether that's through you know, an app or whether that's through uh, you know, online or whether that's through an IVR or, or chat, however I want to do it. You know, and I think that big trend is, is something we're going to see. And so I think the, what links customer and technology in terms of trends is, is really that customers I don't think customers want to do any of the legwork anymore. Right? And I think, if I think about COVID and my own experience, you know, I've, I've worked with and dealt with some, some companies who really failed to do that, right? So if you go through the airline industry, there's been some awful examples. You know, I know myself trying to cancel a trip, trying to speak to somebody, you know, trying to do stuff. I, I, I'm happy to do it myself. This can't be cost effective for you. It's certainly not time effective for me, right? So, I think we'll see that more and more where customers will just demand that, look, you know, some firms didn't do a great job of managing customers through this crisis. Um, and some did, you know, we've seen NPS scores just, you know, record beating because we've been there, we've answered the phone, we've met our SLAs, but we've also invested in digital. And I think that's going to be a huge, huge part of the future. Um, and then I think linked to kind of technology and digital is, is going to be AI and machine learning. So, you know, what does the future of insurance look like if we don't talk about machine learning? You know, and that kind of, have we moved to hyper-personalization? Have we moved to kind of a world where, you know, underwriting is performed largely by machines with, with operators over the top of it? You know, if you can take a million policies which claimed and a million policies which didn't, and then effectively look for patterns in the data, you're going to make better decisions going forward. And I think, you know, I think as we go forward, we'll see much more personalization at a customer level. Whereas at the moment, most of insurance is, is, is kind of based on averages. Right? So, you know, it's kind of averageization is kind of the history of insurance and personalization will be the future. So I think that's going to be huge. I think, you know, the insurtechs, you know, we, we partner with insurtechs. You know, we, we see a huge opportunity to work together. You know, I think one of the big areas, you know, I hear a ton of, insurance-based technology companies talk about they can go live in in eight weeks 12 weeks well you know so can we and that, that's kind of that's kind of one of the benefits of, of our company we're very agile um you know probably we're agile before people talked about agile you know because we are 
we're only as good as our ability to work with clients because with the exception of protection, we don't do B2C, right? So we have good as an insure tech. So, you know, we, we'll learn a hell of a lot from them. We'll work with them, we'll partner with them. Um, but, you know, those big things, I think the, the, the first thing maybe mention is big, big trend that we're seeing is ownership models changing. If you take devices or, or you take homes or you take auto, people are significantly less likely to own their stuff. You know, those big purchases, and this was pre-COVID, you know, we're probably going to enter a fairly deep recession across most of Europe, most of America, you know, the rest of the world especially. So what we're seeing is we think in the next five to 10 years, more people who buy a car will not ultimately own their car. Right. So today it's still most people own their car. But as we go through the decade, most people will either be on some form of subscription, some sort of usage based vehicle model, or they'll be on a traditional lease type proposition where they ultimately don't own the vehicle versus those people who do own a vehicle. And we think it's going to be the same with housing. So at the moment today, more people own than rent. We think over the course of this decade that will flip. We think that by the end of the decade, more people will rent than own. Um, and, and we're seeing some similar trends in actual devices. Mm. You know, if you take some of the iPhones at sort of 1,200, pounds plus, we're seeing a lot of people looking at, at leasing models or some sort of different financing model where they ultimately don't own the device. And it's, it's about that value exchange, about how they work and how we protect them uh, through liability protection and those kind of items. But, you know, big, big ticket items, I think especially now with COVID, we're, we're going to see a big shift in terms of ownership models as we go through the next sort of five, six, seven years. I guess if you think about those two verticals, motor and home, um, there are opportunities uh, in terms of plugging into Internet of Things devices or you think about electric much bigger data sets and a little bit more intelligent, I guess, uh, much more modern technology than some kind of uh, uh, traditional cars. Do you, I think, do you, Assurant has a telematics proposition? Do you, do you do much in that space, in the motor space? We've done, we've done bits, mostly in the US, mm-hmm. to be honest. I think, I think the, one of the question marks over an insurer mm-hmm. doing telematics is, is kind of, What's the so what, right? Most telematics are largely, I think the future of telematics is going to largely come from the actual manufacturers, as in it's going to be their device, it's going to be implanted, you know, and effectively it'll be a connected car as opposed to kind of a bolt-in that your insurance company has given you. I think some of the apps that we're able to launch will have elements of connected car in them, elements of telematics in them, yeah. um, but it's a bit like what I said before, you know, customers want brands to do the legwork, you know how many how many average people are going to plug something into a car and take the time because what is it worth it right Uh, to me everything will be down to that value exchange and i think as you look forward the kind of the the, probably the single biggest trend that is really going to drive that kind of connectivity is going to be 5g Mm -hmm. right so 5g comes in this year you know probably going to be a bit slower than than it otherwise would have been you know, the new apple device is going to be 5g and you know 5g is is somewhere in the region of 10 times faster than 4g yeah you take take 5g you take quantum computing you take machine learning all of a sudden you have got a game changer right you've got that level of computational power that level of data ingestion that speed of network all underpinned by machine learning means that you know you'll effectively 
take take a car insurance model as a perfect example you know if i've got a, a if I, we don't do it so i can talk about it openly but if i run a car insurance company and i i have my app on your the customer's phone so 5g is able to you know in real time process that data quantum computing you know back at the kind of back at the office is is constantly you know, crunching that data utilizing machine learning you effectively could price by the mile based upon how the customer is driving through that device and link it to other drivers like them in real time making pricing decisions so that, that you can't do that without all of those three components no. and kind of Sorry, you can ask. Yeah, <laughs> I think that, that might be good for some drivers, but not so good for others. I guess, you know, people that hide in the, in the category of drivers, that, <laughs> I guess a fairer world we're moving to. So. Well, exactly. And, that, and I think that is, that's the challenge, isn't it? It's going to be about choice. It's going to be about how, how does the customer want to work versus the averages. Yeah. I think that, you know, when you take that connected device, you take the connected car, you take the connected home, that, that's kind of where I see the big technology change of the future is it's all going to be around that connected consumer. Mm. So that you know, they are going to be connected, and you know, you take things, you know, GDPR being a key one. You know, it only works if the customer is at the heart of it with control over their data. Mm. Yeah, you know, it all knobs out. I think, um, yeah, completely on the same page. I think uh, I've been to lots of InsTech uh, demonstration events and shows, etc. Sort of looking at this kind of upcoming uh, technology, and you know, there was a lot of sort of excited new internet uh, things devices a few years ago for example you know you could have insurance policy where they'd come and cut a bit of your um uh, your your water pipe and put a device on it and it automatically tell them if you have a leak uh, for example <laughs> okay right i can see some good uses maybe in the commercial space but you know it's that thing where sometimes there's technology looking for uh, for a solution but i think now that that it's sort of um we've got through the first wave of instex it's getting slightly more serious uh, the idea is that we're really gaining traction of Definitely, we've seen a trend towards partnership between incumbents and um, InsTech startups as well in terms of leveraging yeah. some of the interesting technology. Um, so, I guess that probably um, leads me on to my kind of uh, next thought on this is you know, there's a lot of money being put into startups. There is, um, you know, there's, there's a real kind of InsTech scene in the UK, I'm sure globally as well. Obviously, sure, and you have lots, uh, you know, any, any global uh, incumbent have lots of advantages, uh, but I guess there's also challenges around. You know, legacy platforms, maybe ways of working, and you know, uh, um, and there's going to be a lot more competition from these, perhaps, where they pitch themselves as you know, nimbler startups. How is Assurant adapting to this new world uh, and innovating? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I just add actually, that's all you're saying before about some technology. I, I think, I, d I don't think we'll, we would work with or see value in working with a startup or someone who's kind of come up with an initiative unless it's got genuine value to the customer, right? So. You know, like to, to use your example, if I think about myself personally, I would get a huge amount of value in, say, for example, an IoT smoke alarm that, that rings my phone if my smoke alarm's going off, right? Or uh, an IoT house alarm that, you know, immediately WhatsApps me to say there may be an issue at your back door or because we've just noticed the sensor's gone, right? That's genuinely useful. Um, and that is something, and I'd pay for that. As a customer, I'd pay for that, right? And, uh, and you know, to your point, and, and that's not necessarily, as an incumbent, it's not necessarily something we're going to go and build ourselves. Mm. You know, that, that, there's a lot of activity, you know, we probably wouldn't be the best at doing it. So, you know, as a big incumbent, you know, as I said before, I, I actually think we're quite unique in it. We do feel quite agile. You know, we really do. And, and if I think about, you know, some recent programs we've launched with clients, as I say, many big insure techs talk about, you know, we can launch an insurance 
uh, a new insurance business in eight to 12 weeks. We've just done it with, you know, some of the most um, interesting organizations in Europe. We've been able to do the exact same thing. And it's, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, it's not been easy, but, you know, we were able to do it. We're not, you know, we're not taking 12 months. We're able to do things quickly. I think, I think the key thing that we do really is, you know, being an incumbent is, you know, it's easy to rest on our laurels, but we, we really don't. So if you need to take my role, for example, I, you know, I spend a lot of my time monitoring what's happening, talking to people in the industry, you know, ideally going to conferences when we used to be able to do that. <laughs> and, and just genuinely understanding, we do a ton of research. We're constantly doing customer research to find out what's happening, constantly trialing stuff. So if you know, if you go back to the literally the first week of lockdown, we uh, we were the first UK insurance company, first UK warranty company to launch an electric vehicle warranty. We launched the first one in the UK, and that is a warranty dedicated to electric vehicles and hybrids. You know, we were the first people to do that. So that that's a real plus. That shows how agile we are, and there are more firsts that we'll do throughout the rest of this year. Um, partly because we're happy to partner. So, you know, a lot of the propositions I've talked about, many of them are us, they're entirely us, but actually a lot of the propositions that we sell are, are partnerships with other people. And we bring, we bring the packaging, we bring the distribution, we bring the regulated entity, we bring a, a significant customer service team who can really support if we need to. Um, we may bring, you know, the digitization capability, but we're happy to work with, with partnerships. I think, you know, a, a prime example is one, we launched, you know, just a phenomenal company that I think is going to go great guns, a company called Kazoo. So Kazoo really launched in the UK um, just after Christmas to try and completely disrupt the auto industry. So Kazoo is an entirely end-to-end -end car buying experience. Um, and I can say it with a fair amount of experience having bought a car through that, that, that site. Um, and the experience is phenomenal. Um, we partnered with them for their launch. We provide a warranty on, on kind of day one of the customer taking that product. You know, you have, you basically have uh, 14 days. If, if you buy that product and you don't like it, you know, you can, you can send that car back. But the experience is amazing future. So, you know, yeah, we may be an incumbent, but actually we use those kind of methods to keep close to what's happening. We'll partner with those people and we bring genuine consultancy expertise. You know, we've got, you know, over 140 odd years of, of ensuring and protecting and, you know, our, our key mantra is protecting what matters most to people. So we can bring that to an incumbent who may not have that experience. And so I think, you know, we really do see partnering with organizations, partnering with insurtechs um, as a, a real way of being successful in the future. Yeah, I guess there's an interesting thing there. There's one is a kind of attitudinal, the kind of, you know, the drive of the company, the other is around process. I think it's interesting. We work with lots of different insurers, and um, some of the projects you mentioned that we've you know, we've worked on recently together, our teams uh, delivered in fairly rapid time. And I have to say, compared to a lot of insurers, you know, you're you're fairly mature in terms of your adoption of agile. Uh, and I think it's quite yeah. quite seriously at a global level. Have you got any kind of tips for um, for those, those that are kind of not on that journey yet, but around how they can maybe roll out agile within their organisation? Yeah, and, and you're right. We do. We have agile. I mean, we have an agile squad right now, focusing on digital announcements in the UK. I think the number one tip for me is is really it's about culture. You know, the the move to agile is about culture, and it's something that has to come from the top. You know, I've I've seen a, a few organisations who've kind of who've kind of written some slides saying tomorrow we're all going to wake up and be agile, and you're going to be a product owner, you're a scrum master, but 
Yeah, it, it really ha- you have to mean it, right? And and to me, it's not just about delegation and then walk away. I've seen that happen as well, mm. which is you know all of a sudden we've kind of thrown away all governance and everything, and you're now delegated, and and then kind of tell me when it's done, and it invariably doesn't work. Mm. It's about empowerment, and so the way I see us doing it well is having the right people. Yeah, you know, first and foremost. So we have a blend. I'd say in in our agile teams, we have a blend of. People who've been in the organization for a period of time know the organization really well, but may need training to go on the agile journey. Yeah. Plus bringing in expertise, whether it is scrum masters uh, or product ownership or just training, who've got experience in agile. And I think agile methodologies to break down some of those barriers. The, mm. the one thing I'd say would be, I think we are, and there'll be other people like us, but we are quite unique in that, we face off to different clients, much like you do, Mark. So we, we may be agile here, but over here, we may be doing something with I know, you know, a large bank who mm. may be waterfall. Mm. So we're flexible. I, I'd say, I, I don't think we'll ever, certainly in the near term, get to a world where we are prescriptively agile. Yeah. We'll, be, we'll be flexible. And, and, and part of that is because actually there's large elements of agile, which are just best practice. You know, is, you know why, why would you recruit really strong, uh, experienced delivery people from an agile background and then tell them to work in a different way or tell them how to work. You know, those are the experts. We let them, we let them run things. And so we do that. We, we always implement, you know, delegated authority. So, you know, when I think about all of the key projects happening right now, we, we may have steering groups for them, but we've got delegated authority and that, that's what means we're successful. We don't need to spend, you know, every month doesn't go to a board for discussion. You know, obviously some things do, but we, we want to have people making decisions. We use daily standups. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I joined daily standups, you know, especially on digital. Um, but to be honest, lately I've stopped joining because, you know, I'm getting in the way. <laughs> We've got empowered experts just crack on. Right. And, and we do that and we build in chunks, you know, we've delivered stuff. If I think about a couple of big banking clients, which we've focused on digitizing this year alone, We've been delivering things in sprints probably every two weeks. Yeah. You know, some have been a bit bigger. We've taken a bit longer. But, you know, the alternative to that, we could have stored that all up and gone live with one big bang. Yeah. Um, and we wouldn't have, you know, we've seen, you know, I said before, COVID, we've had about 25% underlying swing to digital. Those initiatives this year, which we focused on digitization through Agile, uh, in the same period, we've added an incremental 50%. So we've seen a 50% shift to digital, a 25% on top COVID. We've seen a huge shift to digital. And, and, it, and the benefit of having done it the way we've done it is it sticks. Mm-hmm. Right? So we're now giving customers what they want mm-hmm. and we've done it iteratively and we've been able to measure improvements. We've seen when stuff's not worked, mm-hmm. you know, we've deployed things and we've seen a sudden spike in page load time, right? To give you an example, and we've suddenly had to pivot and sort out what we've done and get the page loads back. We've implemented analytics. We've implemented optimization teams. We've implemented UX focus. So we're able to constantly iterate. And I think that's, that's kind of the main things. But I'd say, you know, above all else, it's, it's you know, culture. And I think the other piece, having seen it in a couple of companies, is, is just cutting yourself a bit of slack about how long it will take to, to implement Agile. You know, you, you need to pick a couple of yeah. kind of, safety projects right because you know if, if you know we're, we're a big insurance business we've got large systems if you said you know what we're going to run a multi-million pound system transfer we've never done it before we'll do it agile 
I mean, that's me a car crash. <laughs> you, just, you wouldn't do it that way. You, yeah. you do, you know, you learn. You, you learn, you know, people are expecting a, a 10,000 page specification document. They're not going to get one. All of a sudden, you know, it's going to be difficult. So we, we, we do it in the right places. Mm. And we do actually in, in, in our auto business, we have done big policy uh, platform transfers and we have done them agile. So that's because we have the foundations in place of knowing how to do it. And people are all comfortable with how it works. Um, I think if uh, uh, if you just flip straight to it, I think it's it's going to be a real challenge. It'll be a real, real challenge. And especially if it doesn't have buy-in from the top. Yes. The other thing as well is if, it, if it's a silo team trying to work agile within a global organization and they're just one silo, it just falls down completely. Because if you're exactly. if every company doesn't and you're trying to work in sprints, it just, uh, um, you know, just, just not going to work. Um, so and for us, it's a key, it's a key strategic mm. shift in yeah. assurance globally is agile. Yeah. You know, we, we will work more agile and, you know, but again, I, I kind of come back to, it's a, it's just a sensible thing to do. Right. And, and I think financial services, especially has kind of been working agile for a while because you've had you've had product verticals mm -hmm. for a while because that's the way the regulatory structure works so you think about a credit business you have an underwriting team so underwriting is a product vertical and within that team you've typically got analysts you've got you may have your technology team in there you may have a pm in there or something of the likes of a scrum master you may have you know, deep-seated, uh, um, you know, underwriting capability and coding. You bring those people together. That's a cross-functional team. That's a, you know, you've, you've got a squad there already. You just didn't call it that. Yeah. So effectively, I think actually in financial services, it's actually quite easy to move because that's the way we've been structured for a while. And certainly in our business, you know, that is that's how we're doing it. You know, we pick. You know, whether it's self-service in a certain area, and we have cross-functional teams who are empowered to go and kind of do a great job for the customer another thing that i think they're showing a pretty good at as well is uh utilizing usability testing which i've seen throughout all the projects so that thing of you know knowing that you know everyone has their own opinion about a project you know you know the hippos in the room and whatnot and yeah ultimately the customer's key here so that kind of recognition and build something small go to a lab test it with users or much more informal user testing that's something that a lot of insurers still don't really do and I'm, perhaps in your previous uh institution that you work within uh, um you know often a lot of them still don't do that in their process and that that, that um, it definitely shows in terms of the quality of the experience and, and if you look you look at the you're absolutely right we do that extensively if you look at my my last employer you know that's what shop direct now the very group famous for yes you know we have an extensive lab everything is multivariate tested you know nothing goes live mm. on very without extensive testing to prove incrementality with extensive research, you know, starting with wireframes with real customers in a lab in the office where all the key stakeholders can come and observe. And, and I would say, if I'm honest, that's probably one of the singular measures and, and definitions of the success of that business has just been customer obsessed in terms of testing AB, multivariate, and, you know, seeing the incrementality as a result of that. Yeah, cool. I'm conscious of your time. I know there's a certain amount of time books in your diary. I think there's some really interesting uh, uh, um, kind of insights in there, I think. Is there any kind of last piece of advice you'd give, given your broad experience over the years, to you know, uh, any existing players that are looking to really take their kind of digital experience to the next level? And wrap up on, final thought? Yeah, I, I think there's a few pieces. I think, I think kind of point number one would probably be, you know, make sure you've got the right team. You know, there's, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's all too often that you kind of say, you know, 
Jeff or Jill or John or Frank or, you know, Rebecca have been here for a while, they can run digital. Mm. So you, you, you want to make sure you've got the right people. Um, I, I think that the second piece, though, which links to that is making sure you've got the right people who know how the business works. Mm. And actually, typically, a lot of those people come from a call center. You know, if I think about our business, probably the, you know, the majority of the key people who are driving day in, day out change, customer level change digitally are from a contact center background. You know, they, they know the customer better than anyone else. They know what people want to do, what happens. They're a kind of a bank of, of user research that you want to really benefit from. And you can pivot those people, help them with training and really drive forward. I think that'd be the second one. I think finding the right, the right agency or, you know, partner to work with, you know, somebody like yourselves who can come in and provide a broader expertise, a capability, you know, recruiting in the market is tough. You know, getting good quality people who can help you with areas like UX, with dev, with testing, it, it's tough. You know, when you get those people, you want to keep hold of them. And I, and I think above all else, it's just setting that vision from the top, you know, which is here is what we want to stand for. You know, I, I keep it really simple when it comes to digital. And, you know, you've got your front office, you've got your back office. But if I think about the core, which is around customer, it is, it's just empowering that customer by giving them what they want to do, when they want to do it, wherever they want to do it. So if it's on an app, if it's on a desktop, you know, that's quite a simple thing to do, really. You just kind of tick off feature lists, build a phenomenal customer experience, communicate it brilliantly, and you'll have a great, you know, digital capability. You can then pivot and focus on digital marketing. Probably want to bring in some experts to do that. Probably want to bring in an agency to help you. You know, you can digitize your back office, focus on RPA, on automation, those kind of areas. Again, probably want to pick someone who's an expert in doing that and come in and help. There are many. And I think above all else, you, you know, following those kind of routes, you know, drastically increase the, the MPS score, your customer satisfaction, you're going to sell more, you're going to reduce calls, reduce your operational costs. And I, I think it's actually quite simple. I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of people have made a lot of money by building up the complexity of digitization. I think it's you know, we're all customers of some company. We know what we like. And for me, I, uh, I don't want to have to talk to somebody unless I have to, right? And if that experience is brilliant, I'll, I'll go back to it time and time again and I'll stick with that company. You know, too many companies make it too hard to do stuff. So if there's one thing we'll do and I'd advise other people to do is just remove those barriers, remove the blockers and just help customers to, to solve things for themselves because, you know, I don't think there's many people wake up in the morning and think, God, I'm really looking forward to dealing with my insurance company today. <laughs> We're kind of, you know, what's important is that we protect you, that the stuff you love is protected. And if the worst should happen, it should be dead straightforward. And we help you get you back, you know, get your phone back with you, get your car fixed, you know, get you on holiday, wherever it is. You don't want to have to be spending five, six hours on the phone to kind of go from pillar to post to fix it. Right? And I, so I think as long as you take a customer-centered approach, mm -hmm. um, I, I think most firms will, will struggle to fail. Good. That's a good, good message for today then. But, um, cool. So, Chris, thanks a lot for your time today. Really appreciate it. And, yeah, so hopefully we, can, thanks, hopefully we can meet up in the, well, maybe before year end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah th thanks a lot for your time, and I'll, I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Thanks.